imagine you've been working in the same job for the same organization for your entire career through all the ups and downs, the highs and lows. And then suddenly, in what would normally be the twilight of your career, you find yourself in the middle of your best year ever. That's what happened to basketball legend Sue Bird of the WNBA's Seattle Storm. Coming up on Numbers Geek, we will talk with Sue Bird about the numbers behind her record-breaking season. We'll hear how she uses data to understand the game, and we'll challenge her with a new basketball box score mystery. From GeekWire and USA Facts, it's Numbers Geek. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Stay with us. Numbers Geek is presented by USA Facts, our nation in numbers. Visit them at usafacts.org. Hey, thanks for joining us here on Numbers Geek. Over the next few episodes, we'll be speaking with celebrity guests about how they use numbers to inform their work and their lives. We'll have an upcoming episode with Peter Sagal of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, And we'll also be checking in with Bill Gates about the numbers that matter most to him. But we're excited to kick it off today with Sue Bird, the WNBA star who has had a couple of big years, both personally and professionally. She led the Seattle Storm to their third WNBA championship in 2018 as she posted career highs in key stats such as field goal and three-point shooting percentage and the all-important assist-to-turnover ratio. In addition, this offseason, Sue has been working with the NBA's Denver Nuggets as a basketball operations associate, which has given her a new perspective on the game, and we'll talk about that later on in our conversation. But we started with the numbers. Sue Bird, thank you very much for being on Numbers Geek. Thanks for having me. When a game ends, what are the first numbers that you want to look at to get a sense for how you did in the game, you and the team? (laughs) Yeah, um... I think for me personally, when I'm looking at my stat line, um, assist to turnover kind of jumps out. You know, I think uh, I try to be as efficient as possible. And that's one way of, from a number standpoint, just checking it out. Um, generally speaking, it's like, I know if I shot well or if I shot poorly. So it's like, yes, you might glance at those numbers, but you probably already know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then from a team standpoint, um the things that, that I look at are like rebounding margin. Um, again, from a shooting perspective, uh, you generally know, right? Like, so I might not be able to tell you the exact percentage per se, but you kind of have an idea if you shot, if you guys shot, if we shot the ball well, if the other team shot the ball well, and so on and so forth. So I don't get too caught up in the actual number because um, I think I already know it on the inside. I, I was looking at your career stats, and if you look at, 2018 in things like your field goal percentage and your overall assists, Mm -hmm. it's really remarkable to see you had a record year last year after many years in the league. What do you attribute that to? Like your, your uh, field goal percentage was, you know, uh, it was in the range of 46%, which was a a career high for you. 
Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, I think, and there's no way of actually knowing, right. But I think what happened was, um, first and foremost, I was healthy. So, um, you know, if you were to just kind of look at my last, I have no idea, five or six years, um, there's probably only two of them where I'm just like a hundred percent healthy, like no nagging injuries or issues. And I think what that allows you to do is, you know, play at a higher level for a longer period of time. Um, but you know, on top of that, we actually got a backup point guard this year, which is <laughs> in a lot of ways, like the first time we really had one, like a legit backup point guard, one that I know the franchise, myself included, are, are investing in and hoping she can kind of take the reins moving forward. Just a quick aside here. That was a reference to Jordan Canada, the UCLA alum who joined the storm this past year as a backup point guard and turned in a stellar season. And that lowered my minutes. And, you know, so if you, if you kind of look, um, and compare my minutes from the last couple of years to this year, I mean, significantly lower. And, and, and I, I feel like outsiders looking in might think like, oh, a player would like do less in less minutes. But what I found was that I was able to, again, just play harder, um, while I was on the court and I didn't get as tired. I wasn't as fatigued from game to game. Um, so I was just able to play at a, at a certain level and with that efficiency followed, you know, cause I don't think the numbers, obviously, you know, you're looking at my career stats. It's not like I went, I, I had some crazy jump. It was just kind of these like small little jumps in all these categories. And I think when you're a healthy player and you're a player who um, isn't fatigued, you're able to, to sustain. To what extent after you look at those numbers and especially like the assist to turnover ratio, like you mentioned, to what extent does that adjust or change what you might do in training or how you might talk to your coaches about your playing time? Do, do you use the numbers to inform next steps and to try and improve? Um, yes and no. You know, I think um, some of it is feel, you know, I think something else kind of to go back to your, to your last question to add on to that is, you know, I'm on a very talented team and with a lot of weapons. And I have to do less, probably less than I've had to do on some other teams. Um, so with that, you know, obviously assists. I always say this, it takes two to tango. So yes, while I'm trying to, you know, set my teammates up and put them in, in positions to be successful, they're still finishing the job. And I was surrounded by a lot of talent. Um, and I had, like I said, I had to do less. So the turnovers were probably a little lower. I didn't have to, you know, make something out of nothing. Um, but I think, you know, when you're assessing a season and you're kind of assessing your performance, um, numbers do play a part in that. And, and you can, again, it's, it's sometimes it's like you already knew, you know, like deep down, I probably already knew I had shot the ball pretty well, but it's interesting to have the numbers either prove you right or prove you wrong. And then you kind of can build your workouts from there. So like, what would you change in a, in a workout to address a specific thing that you're seeing in the numbers? I had, I had like a three point kind of shooting assessment. I don't remember specifics off the top of my head, so I'm just going to throw that out there right now. But the gist of it was, you know, there, there are just areas where you don't shoot as well. So maybe it's, you know, off the dribble, you know, three-pointers off the dribble behind a screen. Maybe it's on, you know, certain plays where you're, maybe you're running off screens like staggers or something, getting the ball. Maybe you don't shoot as well there. Um, but your driving kick shooting threes are very high or, you know, when there's a paint touch and a kick out, it's very high or, you know, maybe you shoot better from this spot than that spot or the right from the left. So all the numbers can show you that. And then again, like I said, you can just go into a workout and be very mindful of it. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm looking at your stats right now. So your three point percentage 
last season was almost 45% compared to less than 40% in 2017. So that's like a, that's a significant improvement. That's meaningful. Yeah. Um, again, like I know this is all about numbers, but I think, so in 2017, <laughs> I had to have my knee scoped, um, like right before the season started. And I was just constantly, I was just constantly behind the ball. I was just constantly, I guess, trying to catch up you know, trying to catch up from a conditioning standpoint, trying to catch up really from everything, to be honest. So the whole season for me was catch up. And so I'm not surprised that my numbers show that. Yeah. But even if you go back to 2004, which was the the first year that the Storm won the WNBA mm-hmm. championship, you weren't as good as you were last uh, this last season. You were <laughs> uh, less than 44%. So I think the thing that's remarkable to people as they look at these stats is most people who've been in a sports league, as long as you've been in the WNBA, don't see this kind of improvement. And it sounds like you're saying that uh, injuries and health have a lot to do with it. Yeah. I mean, it does. Cause, um, you know, 2004, I'd actually had microfracture surgery right before that season, not right before, but the, you know, like that off season. And, um, looking back on that, I was healthy. So it's not, I wasn't behind the ball. Like I was, um, maybe two seasons ago, but, I was in a different position. You know, I was 20, probably 23 years old and a lot was being asked for me on that team. I had to do a lot. And again, this year, my, my role was, was shifted a little bit. Um, I think at the end of the day, what you're really seeing is just a player who, um, when they can play within themselves can be a very, very efficient player. Um, but yeah, some of it has to do with health. I don't know. Some of it's just, uh, you know, you get older, you get wiser, and you, and you don't do as many dumb, <laughs> dumb things. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing an interesting job over the past couple months with the Denver Nuggets. Tell me about your role there. It's been, like, such an amazing learning opportunity for me because, you know, it's one thing to be an NBA fan or to watch NBA games. Or for myself, I'm, out, I'm obviously a basketball player, so I'm into it. It's another thing to see you know, how it all works and how it all gets put together, um, particularly from a front office standpoint. So it's just been wonderful to, to be able to sit in on meetings and, and see how, you know, it gets from A to Z um, to kind of check into history and see, you know, obviously I'm, I'm Denver Nuggets biased now, but to look into how they built the team that they have now. Because when you look at their roster, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, and it's just, it tells the story you know, for, for the listeners who don't know, it's, it's a lot of um, the roster has been pretty much um, developed through the draft, you know, and, and a lot of like the best player in, in, in Jokic, he was a second round pick. You know, a lot of these guys, with the exception of like, you know, Michael Porter Jr., um, obviously, once he starts to get going and, and like Jamal Murray, um, Gary Harris, a little bit, a lot of these guys were, were just... Um, you know, pick through the draft at low numbers and, but in, you know, with the mindset of building a team and it's just pretty amazing to, to sit around the guys who are able to do that, you know, um, the general manager, the president, so on and so forth and kind of hear how it all came about um, and what went into to, to putting that together. And, and again, as it pertains to me, it's just great to, to listen and learn. Um, I feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of incredibly intelligent people and um, they're willing to, to teach me. And so that's kind of what's been going on. I know that in the NBA, they have big analytics teams. Yes. Have you seen a difference in how they use numbers to make decisions and inform their thinking about the team? Yeah, um, I have. I think it, it where I've seen it kind of uh, stick out and it's not necessarily advanced analytics that, that is doing this, but there's so many players 
in the NBA. And there's so many players who are trying to get in the NBA. There's so many players in college. And as you're building a team, it's easy to pick out, you know, like I just brought up, you know, Nicole Jokic. It's easy to pick him out now. It's easy to pick out Anthony Davis and James Harden and LeBron James. Those are no-brainers, right? But as it pertains to building a roster, as you get down into the sixth, the seventh, the eighth spot, the ninth spot. Because in all honesty, I can tell you right now of all the championship teams I've been on, it's your bench. You know, obviously, if you're, if you're a good enough team to get to the finals, to get to the playoffs, to, to make noise, to have the re- you have a good starting five. But it's your bench that can really elevate. So as you start to build those, those spots, you start to look at stats. You, know, you start to really pay attention to what these players are doing. And, and as it you know, gets into like just your normal everyday stats, but pushes forward into, into those advanced analytics, you can, you know, it might just be like one-tenth of a something that separates a player and, and can really make a decision because the eye test might show you that, you know, these two, three players are pretty similar, right? But then you might go to their st- and it might actually push one over the edge or hold one back. And again, it, it all depends on who you are and how much weight you want to put into that. But I think in the conversations I've heard, you know, it's, it's, it's in there. It's a part of the equation. Is there a stat that you're seeing that the NBA teams are using that you wish you had, but you don't have in the WNBA to evaluate your own performance um, or your teams? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what the NBA has, I mean, aside from a crap ton of money, which means a crap ton of resources is they actually are, they have, they do have cameras in their arenas that can, um, uh, document, I guess, um, keep track of like the hockey assist, what we know as the hockey assist, which is basically just like, you know, who's making the pass that led to the great pass or who's making the play that, you know, two plays later, but because they're the ones that, you know, started it, it led to this. I wish we had more of that. Cause I think that is an untold story. A lot of times, um, you know, I think the terms that we will, will use is like glue player, right? Like, Oh, this guy's like, he's just like a glue player, but it's more than just that. Like they're actually doing things that are allowing, you know, their teammates to be great. Um, and sometimes that's hard to like, you know, have a tangible number. And I think um, because the NBA has these cameras and they're able to, to, to document it, um, they can use it, that, that, that information. And that's something we don't have. All right. Coming up on Numbers Geek, a new basketball box score mystery with Sue Bird. Welcome back to Numbers Geek. A few episodes back, you may recall we challenged our resident numbers geek, Steve Ballmer, the former Microsoft CEO and the founder of our podcast partner, USA Facts, who also happens to be the L.A. Clippers owner, to identify a legendary NBA game based solely on the numbers. It's kind of a bizarre line. This is a player who takes a lot, a lot of shots, made an okay percentage, but not great. Gets the free throw line a lot, which is awesome. Basically doesn't rebound the ball much at all. One rebound in the whole darn game? Whoa, who's that person? Now Steve eventually figured out the identity of that player and the game. And we won't spoil it for those of you who might have missed it. But be sure to go back in your podcast feed after this episode to hear the whole thing. But in the meantime, with WNBA legend Sue Bird on the line, we had to try it again. This time, though, with a little bit of a twist. We picked a game that Sue herself had played in, just to add a little bit of extra intrigue. But as before, we removed any details from the stat sheet that would have identified the teams or the players, or even the league or the year of the game. 
Basically, we took away anything but the numbers and challenged Sue to figure out which game this was, which season, and which team she was playing for. Team 1 relied on a core group of six players. They shot 28 for 55 from the floor, and they lost the game 76-78 to to Team 2. Team 2 distributed the playing time across about nine players. Together, they made 31 for 79 from the floor, including 9 for 25 from behind the three-point line. And, of course, they won the game 78-76. to Let's pick it up from there with Sue Bird. What stands out to you on this box score? Because I know that it was one of, like, I'm on one of these teams, um, I'm actually looking, and you're not giving me a year, so it's making it tricky. I'm actually looking at minutes played. So I see that team one, their starters, they don't really have a bench. They only really have, like, a six-man. And then I'm looking at team two, and they're, like, more, a little bit more balanced. And then the second thing is that I'm seeing that team two won by two points. And that they took a lot of threes. So I want to say my team is team two. And like, again, you didn't give me a year, but I've got 2018 ingrained in my brain right now. And that would, that would tell the story of a 2000, my 2018 Seattle storm. But again, it's, it's because I don't have a year. It's hard to, it could be, I've played on many a different team. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard to, I've, I've probably been team one as well at some point in time. Yeah. So, so let me tell you, you are on team two okay. and, um, you're right. The distribution of scoring is fascinating to look at between the two teams. So, um, in terms of total points, yeah. Tell me what you see in terms of total points on the distribution of scoring. Um, yeah, just, you said like one, one team is, uh, they just, they don't have a lot of depth. So they've got, they've essentially saying they're only playing six people. You've got one player who even played 40 minutes on team one. Um, and then when you get down to team two, the minutes are much more balanced. They clearly have a player or two who are kind of their go-tos. Um, but they looks like they didn't have great games. They probably would have won by more if they shot better. Um, <laughs> particularly from, uh, well, wait, what am I looking at? Yeah, particularly from three. Like somebody went four for 12. Um, so they're probably a team that shoots a lot of threes and usually shoots better. The other thing I see is assist to turnovers. Team one, 19 to 17, team two, 21 to 10. So it took care of the ball, set their teammates up. And that's, again, something that I know just from my this last season. We, we were like, we had a really high assist percentage. We took a lot of threes. We hit a lot of threes. We set WNBA records in those categories, but we also passed the ball really well. So, But I'm like, what WNBA teams only play six people? So I got to tell you the, the big clue. This is not a WNBA game. This is an NCAA game. Oh my God. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. I'll, t- I'll give you a few more clues. Um, so you are player, you are the second guard on team two. Look at that line of yours. Uh, six for 12 from the floor. Yeah. I turned the ball over a lot. How many turnovers did you have? I had five. Five turnovers, three assists. And let me tell you, there was a book written about this game. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah, so now I know. It's the Big East final. The Big East title game. The top two teams in the country, Connecticut and Notre Dame. And let's take a look at how they... Yes, these are the stats from the legendary 2001 Big East Tournament Championship. And while the Connecticut Huskies ultimately prevailed, this was not an easy game for Sue Bird or for her team. One of her key teammates, Shea Ralph, had suffered a torn ACL in the first half. 
and another, Diana Taurasi, fouled out late in the game. What are your memories of this game? There was a lot of emotion in that game because of, you know, Shea getting injured. Uh, we, had, we already had one senior who had uh, gone down a couple months prior, and we lost her for the season. And I was dealing with some a back injury, and there was just a lot happening. We lost in Notre Dame earlier in the year, so it was a bit of a revenge game. We're on our home court because we're hosting the Big East tournament, but we're actually wearing our away jerseys because we're technically the two seed. We're on the opposite bench of what's normally the home bench. So it was like a very bizarre game. So Notre Dame plays zone. So that, that tells you why 25 threes. They were not deep. They only went, as you can see, they played, you know, they, I mean, they played eight players, but they really only played six. I don't, I actually do not remember a 52 to 46 first half. That's insane. It's true. A 52 to 46 point first half was insane for a college game. And one of the reasons it was such a high score was what happened at the end of the first half. Sue Bird nonchalantly put up a shot from just inside the half court line right before the buzzer. But that moment has almost been forgotten because of what happened later. It came down to the very end. I'll never forget it. With just seconds left and Connecticut up by one, Suberg committed a key turnover that appeared to open the door for Notre Dame to take the lead. We had, we had the ball. I actually turned it over. So now Notre Dame gets the ball. They come down. Ruth Riley gets the ball on the block, gets fouled. So now she's on the free throw line. And she makes one of two. She tied the game. And so basically there's probably at this point four seconds or so, three, 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 four, five seconds, tie game. And I kind of loop around, you know, the baseline, if you will. Still a chance for the Huskies! Get the ball on the run and just take it the length of the court and then hit like a little kind of like fading jumper um, over Ruth Riley to, to win the game at the buzzer. have that happen and the weights that happen and to win and to win a championship on that shot. I mean, we were all just going crazy. It was such a high pressure situation. It's so legendary. Do you ever like draw on that experience when you're in current <laughs> high pressure situations? Like, I don't know the WNBA finals. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I think, um, for whatever reason, um, that's always just kind of been a part of my DNA. You know, I, I can, you know, back to, hitting big shots, you know, as early as sixth grade in like the AAU nationals. Um, you know, I, 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 it was kind of just always like a part of what I did. Um, and ironically, it, it usually came on the back end of really bad games, to be honest. Um, so this was actually a, a pretty decent game. That's great. Well, Sue, back to the original metric that we discussed, uh, assists to turnovers. You had 221 assists last season in the WNBA and only 59 turnovers, which I believe that may be a career best ratio. Yeah, I have no if, idea. I'm just Probably, eyeballing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there room to improve that in uh, 2019? <laughs> um, 
I mean, man, at, at 30, well, I'm 38 now, but I was 37 then. I set the bar pretty high. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. You know, I, I mean, you want to say there's always room to improve. Um, but uh, if I could hit those numbers again, I would consider that a success. Um, to, to, to beat it would be tough. But hey, that's why you go out there and play the games. You never know. That's right. And then the most important number of all, right? Three WNBA championships so far. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's what it's all about. Sue Bird, thanks very much for joining us on Numbers Geek. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sue Bird, point guard for the Seattle Storm, is gearing up for her 17th WNBA season starting this May. The book about that legendary 2001 Connecticut-Notre Dame game is called Bird at the Buzzer, and it's written by Jeff Goldberg. There's also a great episode of SB Nation's Rewinder video show, one of my favorite shows, that features this game. We'll post a link to it at geekwire.com slash numbersgeek, along with the box score from the game. Numbers Geek is produced by GeekWire in partnership with Steve Ballmer and USA Facts. Numbers Geek graphic design by Killer Infographics. Theme music by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. For more Numbers Geek episodes and videos, plus citations for the numbers we discuss, go to geekwire.com slash numbersgeek. You can also find interactive graphics, charts, and government data at usafacts.org. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Todd Bishop. We'll be back soon with another episode of Numbers Geek.